Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to consider when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, and uh, Genesis is an easy book to find because it's the first book in, in the Bible, and if you need to grab a hymn book, there are some pew Bibles, those black found books near you. Feel free to grab one of those, but take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. I want you to see for, with your own eyes what's in this text this morning. When Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some of you remember back in October and in November, we started a series about faith, uh, Heaven's Hall of Faith from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And this is a continuation of that series about faith. And today I'm going to give you a, a word. Maybe this is a new word to you. Maybe you've heard this word a lot, but it's, it's a fun word. I like words that are long and that have very specific meanings. This word is antediluvian. Antediluvian. Doesn't that feel like Sesame Street? Let's all say it together. Antediluvian. Antediluvian just means before the flood. You say, why did you just say that? Antediluvian sounds so much more, you know, official and, and uh, academic and erudite and all those good words. Academic. Antediluvian simply means before the flood. And this next two weeks, this week, next week, we're going to consider some of these events that happened before the flood. Noah, what God was doing, what happened to the people around Noah. Because it says in Hebrews that Noah was a man of faith. And when we started this series, I said there were some questions about faith that we need to answer in this series. The first is, who or what is our faith in? All of us, by the way, have faith. All of us have faith. We have faith in different things. Um, every, every week I meet people. Their faith is in science. Or their faith is in government. Or their faith is in themselves. I haven't helped those people. Their faith is in themselves. They think they, they know everything and they've got it all figured out. Everyone has faith. The question is, what is your faith in? Second, how does faith work? I mean, you know, I've got this, but what does it do? How, how, do, how does it work? And similar to that, how do we exercise faith? Two sides to that coin, the first side of the coin, how do we exercise faith? How do we use it? How do we utilize faith? But the other side of that coin, how do we exercise faith? How do we strengthen our faith? How do we make it even stronger than it is now? Because the just shall live by faith, the Bible tells us. The Bible, we just read it, that without faith it is impossible to please Him. That is, without faith it is impossible to please God. So we want strong faith. How do we strengthen our faith? I clapped one of you on the shoulder recently and I could tell you'd been working out. Been pumping some iron. You've been building up some muscle. And we want to do that with our faith too. We want to build up our faith and, and strengthen our faith. And so this series that we started back in October, we're going to be looking through the book of, uh, uh, excuse me, the chapter of Hebrews 11. It's called Heaven's Hall of Faith and see what lessons we can learn about faith. Now here are three lessons we already learned. The first lesson we learned about faith is that our faith must be in God. That, our, that God exists, that God created everything, that God rewards those who seek Him, and that God communicates. We're going to see echoes of that in today's lesson. So our faith must be in God. Second, when we learned about Abel, when we considered Abel in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we saw that faith is not rewarded right away. That's why it's faith. Because you may do something, you may act on what God has told you, you can believe, and yet in the moment it doesn't seem to have worked. It doesn't seem that there's any difference in your life. 
Because faith is not always rewarded right away. You remember the story of Abel, what happened to Abel. He offered to God the righteous sacrifice, the sacrifice that God asked for. And what did he get? He got murdered by a jealous, envious brother who didn't care about his, Cain did not care about his personal walk with God. He just was angry that his brother had done right and he had done wrong. He said, well, that doesn't seem very fair. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. Faith isn't always fair. Life isn't always fair. We know this. Faith is not rewarded right away. But I tell you what, would you rather be Abel or would you rather be Cain? I'd rather be Abel. Because the Bible says, he being dead yet speaketh. So faith isn't always rewarded right away. Third, we saw Enoch's life, and that is what we learned from Enoch's life, what we focused on in Enoch's life, is that a man of faith, a woman of faith, will walk with God. You'll walk with God. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week because it says that Noah walked with God. But uh, this, this week, I just want to remind you those four axioms. I mentioned them already, but write these things down. We'll get, come back to these again and again in Hebrews 11. Number one, faith that God exists. Faith that God exists. I'm, I'm guessing all of you know someone, a family member, I hope not, but maybe, or a friend or, or someone at work who will tell you God does not exist or say, I'm agnostic, I don't know how anyone can know that God exists. Well, that person also has faith. Obviously, their faith is not in God. And I'm encouraging you, your faith is in God and you know God exists. Second, faith that God created all things that exist by his powerful word. Third, that God rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him. If you will seek the Lord, you will be rewarded. Again, not necessarily the same day or the same week or even the same year or even in this lifetime because God reserves his best rewards for eternity where moth and rust does not corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal, where you will get a chance to enjoy the benefits of those rewards for all of eternity. If you said to me, you know, Pastor, what we want to do, right? We want to make sure you get all your rewards in this life. I would say, no, no, no. I don't want all my rewards in this life because this life is going to come to an end. It only lasts so long. But eternity is, well, forever. That's where I want my greatest rewards. So, God rewards those who seek Him in forth that God has communicated to us through the Bible. And that's why I encourage you to open your Bible and look at the text. And I hope you're reading your Bible. If you uh, worked with us through our 31 days of Proverbs project, you finished that up on January 31st, reading uh, Proverbs 31. I hope you didn't quit reading your Bible. If you need uh, help, there's a uh, calendar out on the... Um, January through December calendar out on the uh, track rack there, and you're welcome to take one. And, and each day there's a daily reading. There's an Old Testament reading and there's a New Testament reading. If you can't do both, focus on reading the New Testament reading. If you'll read each of those every day, you will have read through the New Testament in one year. If you read the Old Testament reading, you'll have read through the Old Testament and the entire Bible in one year. But have a system for reading your Bible and praying, and meditating on God's word every day. Because God has communicated with us. If the president, President Biden, were to call you, and I know everyone, you know, we don't, I don't want to talk to President, I would love to talk to President Biden. I, I'd love to. I have a lot of things to tell him. If he called you, you'd take his phone call. Here's God. He wants to talk to you. 
He has something to say. Are we taking his call? I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically here. God communicates with us through the Bible. And we're going to see that, see those echoes of those again in Noah's life. You're in, in Genesis chapter 6. Let me read to you uh, verses 5 through 8. Genesis 6, I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 8. You follow along as I read to you. Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Notice that word grieved. It grieved him at his heart. And God said, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll consider this passage. Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here again to a safe and, and dry, warm place this morning. Thank you for giving us protection as we came. And we pray for your protection as we go home here in a bit as well. But we're meeting this morning because we want to worship you. And as part of our worship, we want to consider what your word says to us. We want your manifest presence. We want to know that you've met with us. We want to know that you've communicated with us this morning. Not that I have communicated. Not that man has communicated to man, but that God, you have communicated to us. Use your word powerfully. Open our eyes to see the treasures, the truths that are here for us. And then show us clearly how each one of us will apply it. Different lives, different personalities, different circumstances, different seasons of life, and yet there's application for us. Holy Spirit, make that application plain. And if there's someone who came this morning and they're not your child, they're not a Christian, they don't know that their sins are, are forgiven, they don't know that they have eternal life, then I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would use this message to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Noah certainly lived in interesting times. We're going to see that by the end of Noah's life, there's been a cataclysmic, traumatic destruction of the earth that literally turns everything over. And uh, if you're fascinated by the flood as I am, there have been many good books written about the evidences for the flood that you can observe with your own eyes, even today, just totally changed the face of the earth. Noah lived in very wicked times. The Bible says that the imagination of the thoughts in the heart of man was only evil continually all the time. So I sometimes feel like we live in similar times. Similar times that are uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. It, it feels as if there are constant cataclysmic threats that are around us. And there's so much wickedness. And if Noah lived righteously in his time, I want to encourage you that you and I can live righteously in our time as well. Here's some lessons that I want to draw today, and then we're going to, again, next Sunday, some more lessons from Noah's, uh, this events of Noah's life. The first lesson that I want you to, to, to write down is evil dwells in man's sin-cursed heart. Evil dwells in man's sin-cursed heart. Genesis 6.5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Let me remind you of another verse we read in Mark 7. This was some years ago. We were working our way through the book of Mark. This is what Jesus had to say about man's heart. In Mark 7, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Does it sound like Jesus thought our hearts were basically good? Not at all. And, and this is the great divide in all of philosophy. Do you believe that man, people, men, women, I mean, I know you women believe that men are evil. I get that. But I'm talking about humans. Do you believe that humans are basically good and their environment corrupts them? Or do you believe that people, human beings, are basically evil and that's why the environment is corrupt? And the Bible teaches us so clearly that our hearts are evil. And that's what corrupts everything. Now, if you're thinking to me, well, that's terrible news. I mean, if that's the truth, what are we going to do? Just stick with me. We're going to get to that. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But let's be frank, because this is, this is our problem. We think that things are, are supposed to be good, and if we just get rid of evil corporations, right? If we just get rid of overbearing government, if we just get rid of, some people say, police departments, all of a sudden, everyone's going to be good. But the truth is, why is there corruption in police departments? Because of man's evil heart. Why is there corruption in government? Because of man e man's evil heart. I was talking to a union member yesterday, and I said, well, what do you think of union members, he of unions? He said, well, I think they're pretty good except for the corruption. Why is there corruption in unions? Because of man's evil heart. Everything we touch turns evil. I was reading, uh, as you surely, if you've been paying attention to the news, you're familiar with the Senate hearing on social media that took place this past week. And I was reading the detail that I read that just stuck out to me. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram and Threads and, and what's happened, Meta self-reported. Meta self-reported 27 plus million instances of child sexual abuse on their social media apps. 27 million. Now, understand, there's literally billions and maybe even trillions of interactions, so it's not as if everything is evil on those sites. But can you imagine how corrupt those social media sites are? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you parents, don't allow your children unfettered access to social media. But it's not the company that's bad. It's the people who use social media that's bad. We could change the head of the company... We could change their algorithm. We could change a lot of things. The evil that we find on social media comes out of people's hearts. We, we need to understand that. The evil comes out of my heart. If you grew up... Now, okay, now I'm going to preach to the choir. If you grew up in independent fundamental Baptist churches, which I, I did, and I'm glad for that. I'm not being critical. But if you grew up in churches like that, you know what we were told? Don't love the world! Right? Those people out there are wicked. The problem is, my heart, the wickedness of my own heart, resonates with the evil that's out there. That's the problem. And so we'll cut off this, and we won't do that, and we won't go here, and we won't watch this, and we won't know about that. And then we're surprised when we find wickedness in our own heart. Don't be surprised 
when you look into your own heart, I look into my own heart, and I've been a Christian a long time, and I know better, and I look into my own heart, and what do I find there? Wickedness. Now again, you say, you, you're not helping me here. I, you, you, if, if you've been a Christian a long time, and you still find wickedness in your heart, what are we going to do? I'm getting there, okay? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But the problem is, we think it's the people around us. Right? You go to work, and you're struggling with the people at work, because it's always the people at work that have problems, right? You, you, I, I hope this isn't your case, but maybe you go home and you just dread going home because in your house, in the household, the people you live with, there are, there's drama. And you think, you know, the problem is my family. Now, let me suggest the problem is you. Now, I'm not saying it's all you. It's probably not all you, but you have a contribution, don't you? Because when I look in my own heart and there's drama at my house... I'm a contributor. When I look at my own heart and I see there's drama at my work, and I work here at the church, <laughs> I see there's drama at work, I'm the contributor. Why? The wickedness is in my own heart. That's what the Bible says. Now, we're all made in the image of God. And so because we're made in the image of God, human beings crave righteousness. We really like to think that we're good people. So, we always set up this list of rules so that we can feel better about ourselves. When I went to Mongolia, I was there for 11 years, dealt with a lot of Buddhists in Mongolia. Most Mongolians default to Buddhism. They'll say, I'm Buddhist, if you ask them. Um, Buddhism has this list. There's eight things. Eight, they have a particular term for it, but that's not important. They have these eight things that if you do these things, you can achieve uh, nirvana. The, the, this, is, this is the way that we find righteousness. You know, social justice warriors have their own list of things, how we're going to achieve righteousness. That's why they're so passionate about it, because they think this is what's going to lead to a righteous America. And guess what? Independent Baptists, we have our list of things. But I'm telling you, no matter how well we keep our list, when we look into our own hearts, what do we find? Wickedness. Now, those of you who know Noah's story, and we're not going to go uh, down this road today, but those of you who know Noah's story know that God overturned the world that was with water. He destroyed it all. Every living, breathing thing on the earth, except what was in Noah, excuse me, except what was in the ark with Noah, few family members, animals. Other than that, all that had breath on the earth was destroyed. And yet, within a few years after Noah's ark rested, what was Noah doing? He drank himself drunk and exposed himself. You say, where did that come from? Noah's own heart. And we could all move out of California and go to, you name it, the most conservative state in the United States. We could go and live far away from everyone else and we could not have the internet and we could have no running water and we could not have electricity and I'll tell you what we would find in our own hearts. The wickedness would still be there. Now, I certainly don't want to encourage you to add to that wickedness by, by taking in and, and, and considering and meditating on wickedness. Uh, please understand there's a place for guidelines and, and some, some lines where we say, I'm not going to participate in that because it's only going to lead me down the wrong path. I agree with that. But it leads me down the wrong path because of the wickedness that's in my own heart. It's not all of you that are the problem. It's me that's the problem. 
So how do we find righteousness? Here's Noah. He's righteous. Uh, he's doing what's right. How do we find righteousness so much, uh, uh, among so much wickedness and oppression? Well, before I get there, I want to tell you another thing we see in Noah's, in Noah's uh, events. And that is this passage, the, the, these verses that I read in all of chapter 6 and 7, 8 and 9, this passage is not about Noah. This passage is about God and what God is doing. Think about what I just read, verses 5 through 8. In verses 5 through 8, who has feelings? God's grieved. It doesn't tell us what Noah thinks. Now, I'm not saying Noah didn't think. Obviously, Noah thought things and he had feelings. And I'm sure he looked at the wickedness around him and he was bothered by it too. But that's not what the focus is. The focus is on God that was grieved. And who has a plan to get rid of all the wickedness? It's not Noah. God's the one with the plan. This event, these events, they're about God at work. They're about how God feels. They're about God doing something. They're about, this passage is about what God sees. Now we have a tendency to focus on the human beings in these events because we're human beings and so we can identify with them and so we say, oh, this is, this is a story about Noah. And it is about Noah. But even in the story of Noah, the, the events that happen to Noah, it's God that is at work Remember this, Noah just cooperates with God. God says, I need you to build an ark. And Noah says, okay, how big? And God says, it needs to be 300 cubits long. And Noah says, I, I, I just could never do that. But somehow he gets it done. You know the story. Here's my point. It's not Noah's plan. It's not how Noah feels. It's not what Noah sees. It's not what Noah thinks. It's how God feels. And what God thinks and God's plan. And I'm going to tell you right now, God still has a plan for the United States of America. God still has a plan for the world. God still has a plan for Elmira Baptist Church. God still has a plan for your life. Here's my question. Do you want to cooperate with God? Or is it your plan? And how you feel? And what you think? As long as you're, you're focused on, you know, well, this is how I feel. And this is what I think. And this is what I want to do. You're going to miss God's plan. Because you're going to be focused here. That's why they tell you don't text and drive. Because if you're looking at your phone trying to text, you're not focused on the road, are you? And spiritually speaking, most of us are texting on our phone. And then we wonder why we get in spiritual wrecks. Because instead of focusing on what does God think and how does God feel and what is God seeing and what's God's plan, it's what do I want to do? and What, what is my career going to be and where am I going to live? And for those of you that are single, who am I going to marry? Or those of you who are married, how am I going to live with this spouse? I mean, we're all focused on us. So let's see. Let's think about the characteristics that are revealed about God in this passage. And the first thing I want you to notice, and this follows on what I said last week, God is intensely interested in his creation. God is not up in heaven, some big bearded guy who's just half asleep, you know, and he's sort of dozing off, and every once in a while he looks, looks up, oh, that's bad, I, that, 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 that's bad. No, no, that is not God. God is intensely interested in his creation. Our verse 5 starts with this, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. God was paying attention. God sees the big stuff, but I want you to see this too. Not only does God see the big stuff, the whole world, it's wicked, it's bad. It says, Noah found grace, Where? In the eyes of the Lord. God sees the big stuff. He sees the world. I mean, it's, it's big and it's bad and it's wicked. And then he looks down and he sees Armando. 
and he sees Hudson, and he sees Arisa, and he sees Helen. He doesn't just see the world, he sees you. He doesn't see Elmira Baptist Church only, although he sees this as a church, he sees me. God's intensely interested. Over and over in the Bible, don't we see how God picks out individuals? Because he's got a big plan, and he needs one individual. Here we have Noah. He's got a big plan, one individual. How about Abraham? Big plan, one individual. Well, him and his wife. He does need his wife, Sarah. Uh, a, a big plan for the kingdom, and he picks David. A big plan for Babylon, and he picks Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He picks small groups to accomplish his big plan. And I'm telling you, God still has a big plan, and I know he wants you to be a part of it. The question is, do you want to cooperate with God? God's intensely interested in his creation. And I want you to also notice in this passage that God has feelings. This verse uh, 6 tells us that God was grieved. God was grieved. It grieved him at his heart. He was grieved. Have you considered, and seriously, think for a minute with me, have you considered that your actions impact how God feels? Now, I don't mean by that, I want to be careful, we talk sometimes about the impassivity of God, it's sort of like antediluvian, but what it means basically is, you know, we can't, we can't change God, and that's true, God is immutable, and I'm not going to change what he's going to do, I'm not going to hurt him, but God has feelings, and he notices what I'm doing, and he notices what you're doing. In fact, what does Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4.30 tells us? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. What is being suggested there? You and I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can do things that hurt him at his heart. And again, God's intensely interested in his creation. Big picture. And he's intensely interested in his creation. Microscopic focus on your life. He knows what you did yesterday. And in fact, he knows what you did with each minute of yesterday. And there are some minutes of yesterday that I, I should have used differently. I, I, yeah, that's true. And God cares. But not only that, but God can be pleased with this as well, can't he? Because what does Hebrews eleven six 6 tell us? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let's take the converse of that. With faith, it's possible to please God. You can do things that God says, oh, wow, that's great. I'm so glad you did that. Not, I'm so glad you did that because if you didn't, I would be in trouble. No, 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 no. God's, God's going to accomplish his plan with you or without you. But I'm going to tell you what I've told you many times. I want to be on God's team. He's going to accomplish his plan with me or without me. I want to be on the, on the right plan. Our sin grieves God. God's bothered when we turn our back on him. God's bothered when we ignore him. God, God, I, I think of the parent, and if you've been here, you know this pain. Think of the parent that doesn't know where their teenage child is at night. They've given them a curfew. Maybe they didn't even know they went out. And now they look at their watch, and it's past the curfew, and the teenager's nowhere to be found. Now, you say, well, that's okay. I just ping them on their phone. I'm talking about before there were phones like that, okay? And you don't know, is your teen in trouble? Have they been in a car wreck? Are they out with friends and just lost track of the time, which isn't 
great, but at least they're okay, or they with bad friends and doing stupid stuff. You don't know. Now, the truth is God knows. I, I don't want to give you the impression God doesn't know, but I do believe that God feels the same way that parent does. Torn at heart that a son, a daughter, because God says we're his children, that a son or a daughter would ignore him and act as if he doesn't exist and what he wants is not important to them. Here's something else we learn about God. Not only does he have feelings and he's intensely interested, but God is holy. We missed that. We didn't read verse 3, but go back and read verse 3. Excuse me, I'll read verse 3 to you. Follow along as I read Genesis 6.3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Why is God striving with man? Because man's going one direction, wickedness. Man said, I'm just, I'm just going to put this thing in fifth gear and put the pedal to the floor and I'm going to go as fast as I can. Those of you that have never driven a manual don't get that. But he's just, I'm going to go as fast as I can toward wickedness. And God says, no, I'm a holy God. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but God says, be holy for I am holy. He calls us to that holiness. And when we say, well, we're just going to keep on our own wicked way. We're just going to do what we like. We're going to live selfishly. I'm going to just do what I want. Then guess what? We're striving with God. And let me tell you, God always wins. We're going to see that God always wins. One aspect, one component of the fear of the Lord is that recognition. God always wins. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God is holy. He's not going to always fight with man. And he's not always going to fight with you. The Bible says, as it, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will judge both those who are alive and remain at his coming and the dead. The, the quick and the dead. Both. Someday, all of us will answer to God and he is a holy God. But I want you to see this too. And here's good news. God is long-suffering. Verse 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is uh, a flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years. This is, I understand this to be a reference to the time between God telling Noah what was going on and to start building that ark and when God sent the flood. And 2 Peter 2 tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And for that 120 years, you know what Noah was doing? The Bible tells us Noah was proclaiming the truth of God. There's a coming judgment. Can you imagine his neighbors? And I don't know exactly how urban or suburban or rural society worked in the days of Noah, but can you imagine his neighbors? You start building a boat that's the size of a football field or bigger. I'm sure his neighbors said, Noah, what are you doing? Uh, you, you're not, you're building a boat. There's no water around here. How, do you, how are you ever going to plan to get that into the ocean? It's way too big for you and your family. What are you going to do? Gather up a bunch of animals? And Noah said, yes, I'm telling you, God says the world is wicked and he's sending judgment. And you know what they did? They laughed. What? <laughs> Poor old Noah. I, I think he has a touch of dementia. It's been about 119 years now he's had a touch of dementia. They thought he was crazy. The Bible tells us that in addition to Noah, there were seven other human beings who got on the ark with him. The door was open. In fact, we'll see next week that God is the one who closed the door. The door was open. They could have gotten on. They didn't want to. 
They didn't care. If it says right up until the day of the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Nobody gets married thinking they're going to be destroyed the same day. They thought they had time. And I tell you, this is the reason that so many Americans were trapped in our sin because God is long-suffering and we don't see immediate consequences and so we think we're getting away with it. We think it's okay to live selfishly and to live sinfully. But 2 Peter 3 tells us the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering. In other words, God isn't just lazy and uh, can't be bothered, and maybe someday he'll figure it out. No, no, God has a plan. I said that at the beginning. God has a plan, and part of his plan is to give us time to repent. But if we don't repent, here's the last characteristic of God we can see from this passage that I want to bring to your attention from this passage. If we don't repent... If we waste God's long-suffering and fritter away on our own evil thoughts, then God will judge righteously. God will bring a righteous judgment. So this passage is not about Noah, although Noah is a part of God's plan. It's not about humans. It's about God. God's work, God's plan. Noah... Noah cooperates with God. Noah's family cooperates with God. And they're saved. And the rest of the world says, no, 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 Noah, you're crazy. We're going to do it our way. And what happens to the rest of the world? They're destroyed. And there's coming a second judgment. I don't know when it is. By the way, I don't think Noah knew exactly when his day of judgment was going to be. But there is this coming second judgment. Jesus Christ will return from heaven and he will sit in judgment upon all those who are alive and remain and those who are dead. And I tell you what, in that judgment, you want to be on God's side. And that brings me to my final point today, Genesis 6 verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, I told you at the beginning, man's heart is wicked. The Bible says it's desperately wicked, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can even understand how desperately wicked our own heart is? That's what Jeremiah 17 tells us. And you say, even after years of being a Christian, oh yeah, after years of being a Christian, there's still that root of evil that, that, that just wants to express itself in my heart. What am I going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I need God's grace. You need God's grace. We all need God's grace. With God's grace, we can strengthen our spirit instead of feeding the flesh, and we can have consistent victory. Living in God's will, loving God, obeying Him, fearing Him. Or we can spin our wills trying to keep that list that the Buddhists have, or trying to keep the list that the social justice warriors have, or trying to keep the list that the independent Baptists have. And get nowhere, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want to explain a little bit about what God's grace is. And we have a lot of acronyms and definitions that are very simple to help us remember. My favorite acronym is God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's Riches at Christ's Expense. It's true. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. I met a man yesterday and he said he'd grown up Catholic and so I understood he had that much uh, spiritual background. So I asked him the question, 
why do you think Jesus died? Because he knew that Jesus had died and seemed to agree that that had happened somewhere in history. Jesus somewhere back there died. And why do you think Jesus died? And you know what he said? He said, well, I sort of got, and I'm, I'm using my own words, but he sort of got caught up in the political machinery. He was a radical. And, uh, you know, the Romans didn't like that, so they killed him. I said, no, 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 no. I took him to 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins. God's riches at Christ's expense. What am I going to do with this wickedness in my heart? I'm going to give it to God. Because on the cross, Jesus took all of my wickedness, all the sin that I had done in the past, all the sin that I will do in the future, Jesus Christ took all that wickedness and He bore that sin in His own body, the Bible says. And in exchange, Jesus gave me His righteousness. He gave me His righteousness. That's God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm going to read you a quote that I think is helpful. God deals with his people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness or what they deserve. God deals with his people simply according to their need. He deals with them on the basis of his goodness and his generosity. God looked down and he saw a poor, helpless sinner, me. God looks down, he sees poor, helpless sinners, and the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why we, we, I, I don't focus on the wickedness in my own heart. It's there. Yes, I know it. I find it every time I look for it. You know what I worry about? I worry about finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. I ask myself, do I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. God's grace changes people. God's grace changes people. God's grace changes us in a moment from being destined for eternity in hell, separated from God forever. In a moment, He changes our destiny so we're headed for eternity, spending all of eternity in His presence. God, God's grace changes our destiny, but God's grace also changes our desires. Over time, God changes even what we want. Talking with, again, with one of you just this week, and that person said, listen, what I want is different. When I, when I see life, you know, I, I see what's in front of me. What I want, what I choose is different. God changes our destiny. God changes our desires. In fact, God changes our personality. We become, by God's grace, we become different people. We can be salt and light at work instead of part of the problem. We can be drama absorbers instead of drama adders at work and at home. And you know what? If you get enough drama absorbers in a place, all the drama seems to dry up and go away. And I hope your home is like that. It's a, it's a drama absorption place. And you go home and you bring your drama, and guess what? It just disappears. And that's God's grace. You say, well, pastor, tell me the secret. Walk with God and have His grace. Because people are going to say harsh things to you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to treat you unfairly and unjustly. And it's only God's grace that allows you to respond and love your enemy instead of hate them. It's only God's grace that gives you that soft answer that turns away wrath. God's grace. I need God's grace. You need God's grace. Two more things about God's grace. We could go on the rest of today with God's grace, but two more things. Number one, God's grace is always sufficient 
Write that down and live by it. God's grace is always sufficient. I can never say to God, well, God, I really wanted to do your will. I really wanted to live according to your plan, but there are no buts. The Bible says where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. Not where sin did abound, God's grace sort of met it. I mean, it was really close, but just God's grace pulled ahead by a nose. No, no, no. We're sinned abound. God's grace did much more abound. God's grace is always sufficient. Here's the second thing about God's grace I don't want you to forget. God's grace is renewed daily. You say, well, I needed a lot of grace yesterday. Well, you're going to need a lot of grace again today, and it's going to be there. It's going to be fresh grace. It's going to be all-sufficient grace. Paul said, for, and, and, and Paul just, just goes through it. He's, he's beaten for preaching the gospel. He's trying to travel from place to place and he's shipwrecked. He's accosted by robbers. He's falsely accused. Sometimes he's hungry. There's just the burden of all the churches that he has planted and he's working with. And this is, which, this is what Paul says, for which case, for which cause we faint not. For though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. He says, this outward man's wearing away. You have a new knee pain, don't you? You have an ankle that isn't working quite the way it did. You've got migraines. You can't remember what it was you studied yesterday. You, you can't read because your eyesight's gotten bad. There's a, your body is wasting away. Don't agree with me. It's terrible. Body's wasting away. But the inward man is renewed day by day. People say, Pastor, you got this problem and you got this thing to worry about, and how do you do this? Because God's grace is renewed every day for me, and God's grace is renewed every day for you. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to finish this next week, but let me draw it to a conclusion. I want you to recognize this morning that you have an evil heart. Your problem with sin is not the things around you. I, I, I recognize that with, 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 you can make it worse. But the Bible says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's what the Bible says. And yes, there are certain things you need to get out of your life so that they don't tempt you. I, get, I agree with that. I don't think anyone in this room should have liquor in their house. What are you going to do with it? Just don't. Just don't have that temptation. There are certain things you shouldn't watch, certain music you shouldn't listen to. I agree with that. I, 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 yes. But the problem is not the music. It's not the television screen. It's not the iPad. It's not your phone. It's not the alcohol in your home. It's your own heart where the wickedness lies. And again, if that's all I had to say today, you might as well just stone me. That doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I know I'm wicked. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Again, two sides to that coin. First of all, God can forgive you. God is merciful. If we, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. But not only can God forgive you, God can change you so that you're added so that your attitudes and your actions line up with His plan. Because again, God has a plan. You say, what is going to happen in the Middle East? I don't know, but God has a plan. 
What's going to happen in the war between Russia and Ukraine? I don't know, but God has a plan. What's going to happen with the U.S. economy? I don't know, but God has a plan. Uh, when I grow up to be as old as you and gray-headed, will America be the same country it is today? I don't know, but God has a plan. Are you cooperating with it? Are you cooperating with it? You need God's grace to cooperate with it. I need God's grace to cooperate with it. You say, well, the world is a really, really wicked place, Pastor. I mean, it's really, really bad. You don't think it was really, really bad when Noah lived? And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to remind you of one more truth. Those of you who are Christians, you know this truth, but this, this is so gripping. Listen, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God's been so merciful to us. Boy, I don't know how many times I've gone to God with the same sin problem and said, hey, God, you're right. I, I can't do this. I can't think this. I can't say this. Or I'm, I should have been doing this. I should have been saying this. I should have been thinking this. Please forgive me. And every single time God has said, I forgive you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Remember, I said earlier, God's long-suffering. God could judge the world today, and he would be righteous. God could send that all-consuming fire that he tells us will end this heaven and this earth in the future. I don't know when, but at some point in the future, this universe we understand and we know is going to be consumed by fire. That's why I agree with global warming. <laughs> Burned up, gone. New heaven and a new earth, the Bible says. You say, well, why doesn't he just do that today? Because God is merciful and he's long-suffering. And he's not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. You say, well, pastor, you know, you talk about all this stuff, but I just don't see it. I mean, I've lived this way for a long time and nothing's ever happened to me. That's God's long-suffering. It's not a license to sin. It's a call to God's holiness. It's a call to repent. It's a call to agree with God before it's too late. And for those of us that have experienced that mercy, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You will never regret serving God with your life. Amen. Young people, you will never regret serving God with your life. You've got your whole life stretches out in front of you. You think you have decades and decades and decades, and I hope you do have decades and decades and decades. Give every single one of them for God, to God. Invest your life in God's kingdom, and you won't regret it. Go back to Noah. When Noah's building that ark, it takes resources to build an ark. I don't know where they came from. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm sure his friends said, you know what, Noah? You know where you could travel if you just quit building that ark and spent that money to travel? Do you know how much of a, how, how nice of a house you could have if you'd quit building that stupid ark and put some of that wood into a residence? Noah, do you realize how rich you could be? Who would you rather be, Noah or the friends that gave him that advice? Because there was a day when all those homes were wiped away. All those places on the map that Noah could have traveled to, gone. All the riches of the antediluvian world erased. And Noah's investment paid off. <laughs> you want to be a part of God's plan. I don't know what that plan is exactly, but I know you want to be a part of it. Father, thank you for the uh, opportunity to think about Noah.
and uh, what we learn about you and your long-suffering, your goodness to us, your mercy. You are not willing that any should perish. And I'm asking this morning, I'm begging you, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know for sure that their sins are forgiven and that they have eternal life, I'm asking that you would change their heart this morning. Give them a desire to know that. I'm asking for the Christians that are living selfishly and sinfully. They're ignoring you. You care intensely. You're watching. You know. Your heart's breaking. You're grieved. I'm praying that this morning as they realize again your mercies, as they see again how good you've been to them, not to just send judgment, but to love them, to send rain on the just and on the unjust, to cause your sun to rise and to set. Every day you're faithful. I pray that by, the, by your mercies they would see that they ought to offer their bodies a living sacrifice. For those Christians that are here this morning, and boy, they've been investing. They invested yesterday. They invested on Friday, Thursday. All week long they've been investing. And it seems that if it's not paying off, It seems like their investment is just being poured into a black hole. Father, I'm asking that they would see that they have to walk by faith, that their faith isn't always rewarded immediately, but like Noah, one day they'll be glad they cooperated with your plan and did not live selfishly. It will be worth it all. We know that, Lord. We love you. (laughs) You're so good to us. Good beyond our comprehension. So we love you. But we also love you because you first loved us. And you sent your son to die in our place. Thank you, Father, for that gift, that free.